Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Iowa Right to Life, the largest pro-life organization in Iowa who works with who works to protect life from fertilization and natural death. Go check out their website at iowartl.org. That's iowartl.org. Again, welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. This is Shane Vanderhart, and I have Jennifer Bone in studio with me as a guest co-host. She is with Life Right Action, as well as the uh, spokesperson for Iowa Right to Life. Yes, good morning. Hey, good morning. Glad to have you in here. Good to be back. Yeah, and hey, I have to say, you said Facebook Live, so I admit I did bring the basket of babies. And you did, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, our, our radio listeners won't be able to they see, won't, but, but she but does check have iowartl.org, and you'll see. Yep, and you, you can always check out our Facebook page <laughs> yes. too, and to to uh, look at the babies. Anyway, <laughs> they're beautiful. I know I'm a little wacky, but hey, this is what it's about: fighting to protect lives. Absolutely, yep. uh, Ron. How often have you had to mow your lawn so far this spring? About once a week when I, from when I started. Okay. Yeah. Are you finding my lawn's just like jungle? My backyard's like a jungle. Mine's not that bad yet, but I have a little wacky lawn, so okay. it's it doesn't get a lot of sun in certain places, so it doesn't grow near as fast. Okay. Well, my backyard's a lot of trees, mm-hmm. and then it also kind of goes, it's downhill, uh, and then, of course, I got dogs. Ah, well, there you go. So I won't explain what they do, but <laughs> anyway, it all. I lead, have a neighbor like that. It too. all leads to. <laughs> it all leads to. It seems like the front yard not as bad, backyard jungle. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, this week the way the weather has played out, I had like limited time to be able to to mow, and yeah. it wasn't like raining. So I mow the front yard. I take a break to go get some water. I was going to go out and tackle the backyard because it's. Twice as big. Sure. And it's raining, right? <laughs> no, no. Oh. My mower won't start. Oh, wow. So I'm like, oh, man. And I, I, I'm i still waiting for a mowing service to come you know, finish the backyard. Um, so by the time they probably get to it, the front yard will need to be mowed too, I suppose. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, just, I, 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 I was trying really hard this year. I, I used mowing service a lot last summer. I was trying really hard to not have to do that right because last year it seemed like between the weather and my schedule i just never had time um so i think i've already mowed more this spring than i actually did last year oh wow so i was like i'm like i'm doing good <laughs> doing good because you know i i like not spending money because you know right. i'm dutch so there you go uh For sure. anyway <laughs> the joys of home ownership and yeah. yards uh, I, I bet Matt, our our guest, has a, a nice yard to mow. Do you mow, Matt? Do you do you mow yourself, or do you uh, uh, have a lawn service? Uh, I have a service that's called my teenagers. <laughs> they, uh, they don't do a very good job, but uh, you know, for the price, I get you know, you get what you pay for. Yeah, that's true. I, I, my lawn service moved out about you know uh, a year ago. So I, that's why I was like suddenly I was I, I hadn't mow, had to mow my lawn for like several years and and then suddenly he moved out and it's like oh 
Man. Yeah. You know, between teenagers and clients that owe me money, I think I can usually get my lawn mowed. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, Matt Whitaker is our guest. He's former U.S. attorney um, and also former Iowa Hawkeye great. So, hey, welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Glad you can be on with us. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I could be with you. I was hoping that this would be the craft beer and coffee episode that we were promised last time. Oh, so I guess we I told I have to postpone I got, that. I, yes, we'll have to postpone that because we do need to, we do need to talk about that. Those are like my two favorite drinks. Um, so anyway, uh, pa- powered me through about the last decade. So. <laughs> Um. Oh well, I I did want to, but you know something a little more substantial came up that we need yeah. to talk about. Okay. So unfortunately, we had to we had to put that you know had to push that back. But we will we will do that one of these days. Uh, unless you've been like you know unless our re- listeners readers listeners have been uh, hiding under a rock, they obviously are aware of the Russian probe and. And that FBI director uh, James uh, that sounds kind of medical, by the way, the Russian probe. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Indeed, Um, it does. (laughs) Anyway, uh, former FBI director Comey was fired, and now they're talking about this memo that he might have. That where the memo states, um, according to sources, uh, these anonymous sources that Mm. uh, that are you know have knowledge of such memo that uh, Director Comey um, said. President Trump asked him to drop the inquiry into uh, General Flynn. So anyway, why is this a big deal, Matt? Or should it be? Well, I mean, it's a big deal because the chuckleheads on uh, cable news uh, keep you know, speculating uh, as to, and then, you know, they're they're aided and abetted by all the members of Congress who can't, you know, don't want to get the worst position to be in in America is between a camera and a member of Congress, in my experience. And, you know, these, I mean, because there's really, right now we have no evidence. You know, as a former prosecutor, I, I guess I, I typically wait for the evidence. Um, right. You know, this memo may or may not exist. Uh, what, you know, what was said may or may not have happened. Uh, the president's denying the conversation ever happened. And then on top of that, um, you know, sort of the, uh, what Jim Comey did with the information, if he truly felt that the president was trying to obstruct his investigation, then he had an affirmative duty to report that to his higher up at, at DOJ under penalty of uh, criminal uh, sanctions. And so, I mean, there's a lot we don't know. You know, Jim hasn't really talked about it. Uh, the Department of Justice hasn't talked about it. Nobody's seen this memo. But again, that doesn't prevent the chuckleheads on, uh, on the various uh, news outlets from uh, running as fast as they can to call for the president's impeachment and other, you know, horrible uh, right. things. But you know what the good news of this whole situation is, Shane? What's that? The good news is the lawyers are getting paid right now. So that's, oh, uh, There you go. So, so you're happy. That's but always you're not the punchline. Always yeah. the punchline. <laughs> lawyers always find a way to get paid, though, don't they? Or their lawn yeah. mode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. our, our, our country was founded by lawyers, so I... I I serve in the great tradition of uh, politically connected lawyers. Nice, nice. So, okay, so the latest news out of this whole thing is is that a special counsel has now been appointed. Um, um, Robert uh, Mueller, former FBI director, is going to be in charge of the investigation. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I know President Trump is whining about it on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a bad thing for the president. You never want a special counsel with uh, broad discretion, authority, 
to be investigating uh, this type of situation. Uh, I haven't seen, again, we talk about evidence in the Jim Comey memo situation. I have not seen any reported real evidence that there was any Russian uh, collusion with the Trump campaign uh, during the 2016 election. But again, that doesn't prevent people from uh, wildly speculating and going on TV and suggesting that uh, that essentially the Russians were changing votes and hacking into voting machines, which is just outrageous. But nonetheless, uh, you know, back to your question, Bob Mueller is a well-respected uh, former U.S. attorney like myself. He was the U.S. attorney in San Francisco, which is the Northern District of California. Mm-hmm. And then he served as the FBI director. He was the FBI director while I was U.S. attorney during the Bush uh, administration. And, you know, I think, you know, if, if there was a guy that was going to do this investigation, it would, you know, he is perfect for that position. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, any time you have a special counsel appointed, you, you know, run the risk of people believing that there is something uh, uh, illegal afoot. And I don't think that in this case uh, is what's happening. It's too bad, though. There were so many things during the Obama administration where a special counsel would have been appropriate. And right. where actually I, I had called for a special counsel in a couple situations. One was obviously the Hillary Clinton email uh, fiasco, um, which, you know, was screaming for a special counsel. And, and now, you know, the Trump administration, through the deputy attorney general, a guy named Rod Rosenstein, who was a U.S. attorney when I was a U.S. attorney, so mm-hmm. I know Rod, um, has given you know the left exactly what they want, which is a you know it, it's a political issue, and and but but it's one of those issues that is going to dominate until it's over, and then once the conclusions uh, by Bob Mueller are made public through some report or through prosecutions, which I really don't expect at this point, then it's going to dominate the 2018 uh, you know midterm election cycle. So I mean, this uh, we should all get uh, ready for uh, the B roll of Bob Mueller. Um, having coffee uh, as he goes into his town home in Georgetown because right. it's going to be just like the Ken Starr investigation, uh, but without the um, serious crimes uh, that we saw during the Clinton uh, White House. Well, and and, and one, that's one perspective. Another might be if he comes out and says, you know, there's nothing here. It's finally we could put this to rest to bed, right? I mean, yeah, this could end know, up helping Trump. You're right. It it could. My my biggest fear is what happened. Uh, with a guy that I also served with, Pat Fitzgerald, who was, uh, you know, appointed special counsel by, of all people, Deputy Attorney General Jim Comey at the time. Uh-huh. And, you know, Pat was given broad discretion, like Mueller is at this point in time, to investigate the Valerie Plame, you know, outing as a CIA operative. And ultimately, the only person that was prosecuted was Scooter Libby. Mm-hmm. The only reason he was mm-hmm. prosecuted is because he perjured himself in connection with that investigation. So that's the risk. And that's why the lawyers are all getting paid right now, because the worst thing you can do is, you know, tell your story and and get on and be on record with, you know, kind of what actually happened. And that's that's why I think a lot of people in Washington, D.C. that were connected with the Trump campaign, although they know they did nothing wrong and didn't collude with Vladimir Putin or any other Russian uh uh, nationals, uh, they're still worried about getting interviewed and, you know, and making sure that their story uh, is consistent. Yeah. You're listening to Caffeine Thoughts Radio, and on the line we've got uh, Matt Whitaker, the former U.S. attorney. And, Matt, I want to shift gears here uh, because we got just a, f- uh, a few more minutes left. Our attorney general, Iowa attorney general, Tom Miller, uh, presented a uh, formal opinion about the uh, succession of uh, Kim Reynolds to governor and her ability to 
appoint uh, lieutenant governor uh, once uh, president, excuse me, president, once Governor Branstead, uh, that was not a Freudian slip, once once Governor Branstead um, is confirmed next week, which will likely happen since uh, he passed cloture and becomes ambassador to uh, China. So uh, Miller is saying, hey, she's going to be both the governor and lieutenant governor. What do you think of that? He's wrong. Okay. Amen. Could you? <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, it's it, 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 it's quite simple. The analysis is wrong because the, the Constitution contemplates that in this situation, uh, the legislature could pass a law if they wanted to to you know affect whether a lieutenant governor uh, is appointed or not. And they had in 2009. They did appoint. They did. They did change the law. And you know, he is ignoring that, and he's he's using this concept of the offices merging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think the real question now that he has that opinion is next week what what Kim does when she becomes governor. Um, I have heard rumors that, the, or maybe I, I don't think I read it, but I, you know, some of my well connected friends who we all know um, mm-hmm. have suggested to me that that maybe you know there's going to be some lieutenant governor in waiting or acting lieutenant governor uh, to try to sort of you know be cute by half. I hope not. I mean, you know, sort of she's the executive. Right, she becomes governor. I, I think it, she should just say, "This is my lieutenant governor," mm-hmm. and uh, enforce the issue because ultimately, you know, she is the chief executive, and uh, and should you know should should take her own advice and counsel, and not necessarily just listen to what the attorney general has to say. Because it's one of my favorite movies, uh, The Big Lebowski, says that that's like his opinion, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes no sense that she would have all the power and authority of governor, except for. This one thing. And, and I don't even understand why people are, are all that concerned about it. I think, uh, you know, reading the Constitution Article 4, I, I think too many people are, are, are um, putting too much emphasis and weight on what the word devolve means. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, that, that particular clause in the Constitution, it, it, it identifies both temporary situations as well as a permanent situation. So... Unlike uh, the U.S. Constitution, actually has that spread, you know, split up. Um, right. So, well, and you know, could could we survive without a lieutenant governor until 2018? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm certain we can. Um, you know, and listen, I mean, that puts you know my uh, law partner Jack Whitber in a pretty good position. Right. <laughs> that would be too bad. In line. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I, I think Kim's going to do a great job as governor, and you know, I mean. Listen, ultimately, and this is all I care about, is the people will get to decide. I mean, you know, there will be a running mate with Kim in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that person, you know, will by and large be the lieutenant governor, whether or not they are sworn in uh, with their hand on a Bible or not, because that's just, you know, kind of, you know, if they're smart, that is the authority and responsibility they'll give to whoever that person is. Right, yeah. She's going to bring somebody in whether they're called lieutenant governor or not. I mean, that's right. just... Yeah, she's going to do that. It seems pretty clear that Attorney General Miller looked forward to 2018 and thought, who, you know, I'm going to dance with the ones that brung me. And, you know, he's he's posturing for the left here. And it's it's just so ridiculous. You know, Jennifer, the thing I can't figure out is why. I mean, why would he say one thing in December, let the whole legislative session run? And then in May, say the exact opposite mm-hmm. with with no political gain. I mean, it it's it, it it makes no sense. Um, and it's it, it, it if it takes twenty four pages to explain 
then you know that he's hiding something. That's always my theory of legal arguments. The, right. the longer the argument, the weaker it is. That's true. Love yeah, it. It, yeah it, just, it just made no sense to me. You know, I, um, the only people I really you know, saw pushing this idea uh, was you know, li- liberal bloggers, basically, mm-hmm. uh, Bleeding Heartland, and for in, uh, in, in particular, was leading the They're charge liberal? on this. Wait a minute. But, yeah, Bleeding yeah. Heartland is liberal? This is, what? This I... is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and and her, her, really, her sole concern wasn't about Nesra's constitution, but it was about, you know, that the that her running mate would actually have some experience under his or her belt <laughs> when they run for 2018. It's like, we need to be worried about that. And she's like, well, you know. and She needs to be worried about that. Yeah. So, you know, she they were. Leading Heartland. Yeah. They were saying things like, uh, you know, for instance, she wasn't voted. And the people of Iowa didn't vote her in for that to do that. Well, yeah, they did. They voted her lieutenant governor. with And that lieutenant governor's sole responsibility is to take over if something happens to the governor that's hello you know anyway hey we're out of time um thanks matt for joining us and uh, hey everybody, right. if you miss us if you came in late on this interview check our podcast out caffeinatethoughts.com hi this is brian myers of myers and associates if you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, it can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair, and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant, or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515 490-2640. That's Myers & Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is, the only, is only possible through the generosity of our sponsors. Be sure to check out Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodman of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029 and he can help you find the life insurance you, you need. need. Also, Caffeinated Thoughts is also sponsored by Crosswalk Ministries with Scott Owen. Who offers biblical counseling and conciliation. Contact him at 515-635-5465. Or crosswalkcounseling.org. I kind of enjoyed that bumper music, Ron. I, I just wanted to let that go. That was making my... Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I anyway, like but I'm thinking, ah, oh, I need to come in. So, <laughs> hey, we have, a, we have a guest on the line that I'd like to introduce. Jennifer, uh, excuse me, Jennifer is my co-host. <laughs> the person on the line is Jessica Dunker. She's the president and CEO of the Iowa Restaurant Association. Uh, welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. And you're not the first person that has called me Jennifer. It's just one of those things with the name. I think Two I, of the most popular names going for a while, I absolutely. think. Yep, in that's my de- right. In my defense, I have a Jennifer sitting next to me. so <laughs> I, I totally understand. <laughs> so what does the Iowa Restaurant Association do? Well, the Iowa Restaurant Association is a professional trade association for Iowa's hospitality industry. So we do education. 
We and some professional development. We do advocacy work at the state legislative level. And we um, also are, when you hear people say, restaurant industry experts say, that would be us. Because okay. we do a lot of research and um, just market mining about what's going on in the industry in the state of Iowa. And how long have you been with uh, uh, the Iowa Restaurant Association? Uh, for six years. I've been the president for six years. And what gets somebody into you know doing a you know involved in an organization like this? What did you do before? Um, well, I was in marketing before, and actually, I was the editor of the magazine that we do. Okay. We have a quarterly publication called Food and Beverage Iowa uh, Business Quarterly. And so, prior to coming on board as the president, I was a writer and editor. So, I've been thinking about food-related issues for a long time. So, you you know, like me, you probably enjoy to eat. Right, enjoy. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so you consider yourself a foodie? You know, it's interesting. I, I, there's almost um, no kind of food that I've met that I don't like. So I'm just as happy to have a burger or a sandwich as I am to have, um, you know, some of the best cuisine in the state. And one of the things that we really focus on in the association is the business of the restaurant industry, which is actually the more interesting part for me. Okay. We, um. One of the things that we really like about the restaurant industry, there are five of us that work at the association, is that we get to be hands-on with entrepreneurs across the state every single day. And we're an industry that people can still come in truly as a dishwasher, as a maybe as a non-citizen initially, you know, an immigrant mm-hmm. or a refugee, as a you know, really truly at the bottom of the industry. And, and and the owner of one or more restaurants. And that bastion of entrepreneurialism, that's really what gets us jazzed at the Restaurant Association. Awesome. Now, you mentioned you do issue advocacy. What are some we do. I- what, what are some issues that you guys have, have weighed in on recently at the Iowa Legislative well, Level? Well, at the state legislative level, the one that we have been working really hard on that was passed this year was preemption which is potentially the most misunderstood piece of legislation to have passed in this year's session. Um, Preemption was a a bill that addressed county-by-county and city-by-city mandates to employers. So, for example, we were starting to see there were five counties in Iowa that had decided to create their own minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And while... We have different feelings about minimum wage. What we were concerned about as an association was the idea that restaurateurs would have to deal with wages that were based truly county by county or even city by city. That could have meant 99 minimum wages or 380 minimum wages. That's a mess. Yeah, it is a mess. And, And beyond that, things that we've seen in other states are scheduling mandates. One of the um, some of my counterparts in other states have had to deal with cities or counties that decide to tell employers how to make schedules. So, for example, today is a great day. There are uh, scheduling mandates in other cities and states, none in Iowa, thankfully, that would say you have to print your schedule two weeks out, and if you've scheduled someone, you have to pay them regardless of whether or not they're working. <laughs> So if you have a restaurant and you have patio business and it's today, you might not need as many employees today. Right. And so one of the things that um, these scheduling mandates do is say, employers, 
If you've told someone they're scheduled, you have to print it two weeks out, which, you know, isn't always um, the flexibility even employees like. Mm-hmm. And you have to pay you have to pay them regardless of whether or not they work. So that was another piece of the language that we said, let's not have cities and counties in Iowa be able to do that. Let's anything related to scheduling mandate to um, paid leave. So, for example, paid sick time. Um, let's ha- let's deal with all of that at the state level. That way, all of the operators across Iowa have an even playing field. And, right. You know, one of mm-hmm. one of the examples that we talked about too is you know beyond the restaurant industry, if you have uh, m- multiple businesses in the same city, say for example West Des Moines, had we allowed these county by county mandates to go on, you could have had four restaurants in West Des Moines and had a Madison County minimum wage, a Polk County, a Dallas County, and a Warren County minimum wage for your four restaurants in West Des Moines. It was just, um, it was something we had to work really hard on. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I know I'd heard in the media that they, um, West Des Moines businesses were concerned because even just across the street in one instance, they could be making more money in Dallas County as opposed to Polk County. Um, right. Is, is, that, is that correct? That's correct. So and one real... of the things, yeah, the piece of preemptive le- legislation we passed did was it took away the um, requirement that the Polk County businesses have to have the higher minimum wage than Dallas County. Now, the reality of minimum wage and what's going on in our state is that the market has driven wages way up. And so it, there's not, I, in fact, I, I had a reporter from a, um, local paper, I guess I will put it, call me. And <laughs> I wonder say, which paper. Yeah, and say, you know, well, we, you know, we want to talk to you about minimum wage. And my response was, I'm happy to talk about minimum wage, but I would like you to find a restaurant worker in the area that is working for minimum wage. Mm. And he couldn't, he couldn't. I, I mean, honestly, the, you know, even folks starting out washing dishes downtown in Des Moines are making 10 to $12 an hour right out of the, right out of the starting gate. Yeah. And if you, you look around at the quick service restaurants, they've got signs up starting wages up to $11 an hour. The market, mm-hmm. funny, but how the market works, right. how the free market works, mm-hmm. but wages have been driven way up in the restaurant industry. Our bigger problem is not paying people, it's finding people. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So uh, it, just in theory, anyway, looking at the minimum wage, uh, by the way, you're listening to Caffeinate Thoughts Radio and online we've got Jennifer, Jennifer, I did it again, <laughs> Jessica, <laughs> Jessica Dunker. Uh, I'm going to have to have that. In, uh, anyway, I'm sorry, Jessica. Jessica no worries. Yeah, Jessica Dunker with the president and CEO of Iowa Restaurant Association online with us. Are, are, are you supportive of, of an increase in the minimum wage? We would not be opposed to an increase in the minimum wage in large part because we are not impacted right now. Anything that the state legislature would choose to do, I can't imagine it would touch the starting wages that we're looking at. I was in El Cater, um, Iowa, and Mount Vernon, Iowa last week. They're starting people there at $9 an hour in those small communities. That's because incredible. I, yeah, like, you know, where the unemployment rate is in the state of Iowa right now, it is difficult to find workers. And if you get quality people, you start them at 
great wages and you increase them to keep them. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that really, honestly, the workforce issue for us is much more related to finding great help. That's interesting. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I, I'd never really thought about that, but that's something I'm seeing a lot when I, you know, because I, I like, again, I like to eat and I like to <laughs> go out. And I see people, you know, I see these restaurants advertising help, help wanted, and it starts at, you know, so, so much per hour. I'm thinking, right. gee, maybe I should quit what I'm doing. <laughs> well, Dunkin' well, Donuts, know. just across the street here from the mall, ten, 10 bucks an hour they start at Dunkin' Donuts. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's and amazing. You know, The thing for the restaurant industry, the reason that we feel, you know, everyone feels like their issues are misunderstood, and we are no exception at the Restaurant Association. The reason that we really end up being the tip of the spear and the face of the minimum wage conversation is related to tip wages. And in the state of Iowa, the tip wage that an employer actually hands to somebody that, so I as an employer, no matter what, would pay to someone who makes tips is $4.35 an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's double the federal, the, the federal tip wage is actually $2.13. Wow. And when people hear that, they're horrified by that because they think, oh my gosh, you don't even want to pay minimum wage to people. But the reason that we feel so strongly about keeping the tip wage is that servers are almost always, almost without exception, the highest paid employees in a restaurant. Right. So one of the things that is, that's truly crisis mode for us is that in a traditional workplace, you would look at your best performers. And so you might think someone would look at their best servers and those would be your natural management candidates. But most servers don't want to make the move into management. They lose money. They lose so much money. They lose so much money doing that. Um, Most of the servers in what I would consider to be solid table service restaurants, uh, you know, family, family focused table service restaurants. So high amount of food, but maybe not a high amount of alcohol sales. Mm -hmm. They're making 25 to $30 an hour. And in a restaurant where you have alcohol sales on top of that, you can make, you know, literally hundreds in an evening. And the culture of the restaurant industry, something people don't always realize, is that the culture in the restaurant industry is at the end of the night, I cash out. So I go with my credit card receipts to my employer, and they pay me my tip money in cash. And so most restaurant workers leave with money in hand every single day. And if you choose not to do that, you often lose some great employees to restaurants that do do that. And that's one of the things people aren't aware of. Um, and it's particularly difficult because so many people pay with credit cards now mm-hmm. that the only reason most restaurants keep cash on hand is to pay their servers at the end of the evening. And, oh, lo and behold, if somebody's run a bad card, um, as an employer, you're not going to be taking money back from your employees. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, something just, you know, when you're talking about the, the need for workers and having a hard time finding people to do the job, has that made an impact on customer service? Is that something that you guys, you find that it's a discussion with some of your members about how to improve the level of customer service? 
It is. It's um, it's related to customer service and and also, quite honestly, reliability. Because if you are if you are good at what you do and your employer makes you mad, you literally can cross the street and just not come into work and go across the street and get another job. And so one of the reasons that you might feel a pinch on customer service as the consumer it is often related to not having experienced people in the restaurant as well as they're running, they run short, they run short of staff because yeah. you can only schedule people um, so much. So yeah, it is, I do think it, it impacts customer service. And if you go in somewhere and you're getting great customer service, those employers are doing a lot to keep those employees there. Well, real quick, where can people learn more about your organization? Well, we have a website. Uh, it's www.restaurantiowa.com. And we have a lot of great information up there. We also have a Facebook page, Iowa Restaurant Association. So check in. We do a lot of events that invite consumers. So. Well, thanks, Jessica. Love to have you. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you. This yep, is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodman of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you, call my friend Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at 515-883-0029. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is sponsored in part by American Principles Project, who is committed to the, ed- the declaration made by the Founding Fathers that we are all created equal, endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Learn more about APP at AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. That's AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. So I want Jennifer to talk about our first news item because your organization, Life Right Action, on Mother's Day launched a new initiative. We did. So we've all heard the words unplanned, um, inconvenient, unintended when we're talking about um, children, unborn children. And particularly the other side of the issue likes to to use those words um, around statistics. So, oh, we need less unintended pregnancies or, oh, we need less unplanned pregnancies. And the idea behind this website, IWasUnplanned.com, is to take those words and do what um, statistics don't do mm-hmm. and put faces to those words. So, for example, 
I've talked about it probably before. I was um, born to teenage parents and I was pretty inconvenient to my 16 year old mother and, and my teenage father. And thankfully they're still together all these years later. Um, but that's a word inconvenient. You know, you look at um, somebody who was unplanned. Um, we've got up on the website, a little girl who five or six years ago, her mother, um, her birth mother, um, could not get a ride to the Sioux Center, or I'm sorry, the Sioux City Planned Parenthood. And so because she couldn't get a ride from where she lived to the Sioux, Center, Sioux City um, Planned Parenthood, she's alive. And so you take those words, and, and the idea behind this is just to to, to capture all of the stories um, across Iowa, across our country, but particularly Iowa, and put faces to those words and put faces and take that, take that language back from the other side and, and just really honor the lives that, you know, we've got one just this last week. We added Kristen Gray out of Southwest Iowa, um, an author and mother and pastor's wife and, and all these things. Like take those words back and celebrate the life, um, that are, is behind every single one of those statistics. Amen. And then, and hopefully we'll save lives, um, in the process as well. That's great. That's Thank great. You. And so speaking of saving lives, um, we basically we're saving lives by seeing an organization slowly diminish <laughs> in, in the state of Iowa. Uh, Planned Parenthood of the Heartland announced they're going to be closing four clinics in Iowa by July. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> thank you, Ron. Yes. Planned Parenthood of the Heartland announced on Thursday that due to the loss of most of their, uh, over half of their state funding, they'd be closing clinics in Bettendorf, Burlington, Keokuk, and Sioux City. Iowa Governor Terry Branston signed a bill last week that reallocated over half of the state funding away from abortion providers like Planned Parenthood of the Heartland to federally qualified health centers. And since 2010, Planned Parenthood of the Heartland has closed 20 clinics. Iowa's largest Abortion provider still has clinics in Ames, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids, Council Bluffs, two in Des Moines, Iowa City, and Urbandale. So we could be praying for those to close as well. And how many uh, you you told me before we went live or went you know on air here? How many uh, federally qualified health centers there were in Iowa? Well, there is um, there are approximately two thousand four hundred providers corner to corner of this state that um, this money being moved out of the hands of the abortion industry and into uh, medical clinics across the state. There'll be over twenty four hundred um, providers. So, oh. true healthcare centers um, providing true healthcare options to women across our state compared incredible. to. Eight to compared to eight Planned Parenthoods now, and so. you know here's what's interesting. One, well, there are many things, but I'll say I'll try to limit it to one. Uh, so Planned Parenthood announced this yesterday, and they said, well, four, we saw fourteen thousand people in those clinics in the last three years. I'm not a great mathematician, and actually, my good friend Sue Thayer did the the math on this, but. Um, it drills down to if you take working hours uh, or working days of the year, et cetera, et cetera. It's on Twitter, Iowa RTL, um, the exact numbers. But here's the bottom line. Planned Parenthood in Bettendorf, um, Keokuk, Burlington, and Sioux City appear to have been seeing about four to five clients a day. Planned Parenthood did not close these clinics because the governor and lieutenant governor, he did not. They did not close these clinics because the legislature moved the money, our taxpayer dollars, out of the hands of the largest abortion provider and other abortion providing centers. It 
it did not, they are not closing these clinics because of anybody other than a business decision in a floundering business. At least that's my perspective. Which that's one business we're, <laughs> we're thankful and we can celebrate is floundering. And my favorite we'll... song to play, and I haven't done it yet because I just I got the news and I just have been on this whirlwind of of well talking. But um, my favorite song to play is "Another One Bites the Dust." And so <laughs> yeah. that's my there favorite. We'll I have, have to, we'll I have have to keep that in mind. I have different anthems for Absolutely. these moments, and "Another One Bites the Dust." So I get to play that four times later today. Awesome, <laughs> good deal. Praise we'll the have Lord. to keep that in mind and keep that in our. our, our... <laughs> no, I love what I love what Ron played. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> There's a story I wanted to talk about that that I think has been underreported. Um, the U.S. Uh, na- there was an op-ed at, at National Review that based on a, a something that just happened recently. Tom Rogan at National Review wrote that the U.S. must respond to Turkey's attack on Washington. And you might be thinking, what is he talking about? He writes, the U- United States Secret Service is history's finest protection force. Its Turkish equivalent is a joke. This week, President uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, I think I got that right, maybe. If not, who cares? Uh, Visit to Washington, D.C. proved why. On Tuesday, the Turkish Presidential Protection Department, and we're going to refer to that as the TPPD, um, attacked peaceful U.S. protesters on U.S. soil. And some, some of you may have seen the video released this week that shows... TPPD officers launching coordinated attack on pro-Kurdish protesters outside the Turkish ambassador's residence. Now, this isn't the first bad behavior by this uh, agency. Uh, TPPD officers attacked journalists outside Washington-based Brookings Institute. A Secret Service agent had to restrain a TPPD officer from attacking protesters. During another U.S. visit, the TPPD decided to push Secret Service agents assigned to Erdogan's uh, detail. I can imagine that wasn't a very good idea. Uh, In a 2015 visit to Brussels, a TPPD officer attacked a Belgian government bodyguard. In 2019, the TPPD entered President Obama's inner protective bubble, which (laughs) I'm sure also wasn't a very good idea. I can only imagine how Secret Service reacted to that. Then in 2011, the then Prime Minister Erdogan's detail attacked security officers at U.S. Excuse me, at UN headquarters. Um, he writes, "Thuggery is a prerequisite for Erdogan's protection details, and it doesn't take place in a vacuum." He writes, "On the contrary, their metaphor for Turkey's descent from Islamic democracy to Islamic autocracy, um, as he central as Erdogan centralizes power and attacks his opponents." So. Interesting. Um, yeah, they need to. I, I, I heard that uh, the Turkish ambassador was called into the Secretary of State or Department of State anyway, according to an anonymous source. So I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. Um, yeah, that's that's not going to fly. I, I, I think, you know, either something needs to happen if, if uh, these bodyguards continue to misbehave like this. For instance, maybe not allow this gentleman back into the country. So. Anyway, hey, we got a minute left. I got to stretch, stretch, stretch. Kill time, kill time. General, what are what are your thoughts on this story? <laughs> well, I was just thinking. I'm not Jennifer, obviously, but okay. I was just thinking on your. Well, intro we always to need that. more Ron. Yeah. Yes. The intro to that, I was thinking you were mentioning that there were turkeys in Washington. Was that the? <laughs> I thought that was. 
Appropriate, actually. Well, Turkey, yeah, the Turkish <laughs> president visited, but there's, yes, there's always turkeys in Washington. in Washington. I have two thoughts. The first is, as Ron was talking, I was picturing the old WKRP with the turkeys flying out of the air. And two, the I didn't dead know they turkeys, couldn't fly. They, they, they couldn't fly. And two, we are in perilous times across our country, we and we are talking, uh, the media just will, won't relent over possible non-stories, likely non-stories, and we're at risk here. And so I appreciate you bringing that story to our attention because we got we to gotta pay attention. Your friend just had a huge fight with her husband. She is frustrated and can only think about how bad the conflict is and will become. How can you help? I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. Our first reaction to a friend like this is to listen. This works initially, but in the long run, we tend to only be encouraging negative thinking and gossip. You're not a marriage counselor, but what can you do? One thing you can do is help her adjust the direction of her thinking. Right now, she only sees the bad that conflict promises, but she might benefit from seeing three good things that conflict offers a Christian. I use the Peacemaker's Principle Pamphlet by Peacemaker Ministries to show that conflict is an opportunity to do the following. Glorify God, help you become more like Christ and to test your unconditional love and service. If you would like more materials on how to help a friend, stop by our counseling center in Ames or visit our website at crosswalkcounseling.org. And we appreciate all of you who uh, listen to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Uh, but please don't forget to check us out at CaffeinatedThoughts.com, especially if you missed any of the interviews. You could check us out. Go to CaffeinatedThoughts.com, click on the CT radio link at the top of the page, and catch. you'll see all of our podcasts since the beginning of time. Oh. <laughs> since since our this radio program, <laughs> we're not you that old. You are old. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Prehistoric. <laughs> yes, we're we were before dirt. No, um, no, we've we've been on the air for gosh over three years, and wow. we have every single show at, um, archived at caffeinethoughts.com. You can check that out. Also, don't f- forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You know, be our friend. Uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> so, hey, due to the incredible sheer volume of the material we have available, because the leader of the free world loves Twitter, today we're once again ending the show with the top. Trump Tweet of the Week, brought to you by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. You can call them at 515-795-3676. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Without further ado, the top Trump Tweet of the Week. This was from... <laughs> That was new. This is from May uh, 18th. At You know it's always going to be good when it's like early in the morning. Absolutely. 6.52 a.m., <laughs> President Trump tweets, this is the single greatest witch hunt of, of a politician in American history. I'm thinking Richard Nixon might disagree with that if he were alive. Um, then he follows up. With a statement, another tweet. This was at 9.07 a.m., same day. With all the illegal acts that took place in the Clinton campaign and the Obama administration, there was never a special counsel appointed. 
Yeah, well, I you know, true. That's true. And I, I'm going to have to, I, you know, I was good having Matt come in. I'm going to have to differ a little bit because I, I think, first of all, it shouldn't matter what wasn't done under the Obama administration and with the Clinton campaign because we want transparency. We want accountability. Um, I While there hasn't been tons of, you know, there hasn't been evidence. There's been a lot of conjecture and a lot of anonymous sources. I think having the special counsel, and I think also, too, not just the special counsel, but Senator Grassley with the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, asking for, hey, let's see the memo. Uh, let's see any any ta- any audio recordings. Um, and uh, Congressman uh, Chavitz of, of the House Oversight Committee saying the same thing. He's like, let's see the memo. Let I, I think bringing this stuff to light anything that's out there let's see let's see the evidence let's let's take a look at it not that i i'm hoping something goes wrong with donald trump even though i have, i'm not his greatest fan um but I, let's put this to bed let's let's get let's let's see what's there and and maybe we can we can bring this to a conclusion i think personally i think having a special counsel especially after james comey was fired um and then Donald Trump's kind of putting his foot in his mouth and alluding during an interview that the, was, the Russia investigation was part of that. He's kind of his own worst enemy when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, his communications team, as we talked last week, had a, a good narrative going, and he kind of <laughs> shot it down. I'm going to say my own thing. Uh, you know, I, I I think it's good that we're we're taking a look at this and and maybe come to a conclusion. I think it's going to help him in the long run because honestly with whatever i i don't think i don't think they're going to find collusion with russia i don't and if even if something like that happens i think there's some issues with general flynn from what i've read and there's actual evidence is pointing to that he did some things that were inappropriate um if i were president trump i would be distancing myself from him and allow an investigation to go forward with him but, you know, he's he needs to help himself, and I think ultimately this will end up helping his administration. Hey, this is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll, again, check us out, CaffeinatedThoughts.com, and we'll see you next week, everybody.